I'm Sarah. I'm Erica. And I'm Steve. So friends, we are continuing in our Lenten series this year on talking about various practices that we can do during Lent. Uh, We have talked about fasting, uh, fasting from food, from other things, how we, you know, paying attention to how we spend our time during the Lenten season. We've, we spent last week talking about prayer and experimenting with different types of prayer during this season. what it means to pray and and how we can pray and even some of those misconceptions that we have about prayer. So where are we taking things today, Steve? Well, uh, today, appropriately springboarding out of prayer is how we act in light of it, or, or in particular, how we can be generous with our time and resources and money, uh, what's sometimes collectively called almsgiving. Um, and that has long, long, long time been uh, treated as sort of a... a important, valuable practice in the season of Lent, as well as part of all of um, all of our lives as Christians. We're called to be generous with the things we've been entrusted with. But often this is a particular season uh, when finding ways to be intentionally generous toward those with most needs has been highlighted. Maybe we should lay some ground parameters there about what, what um, almsgiving or what this kind of generosity is and what it isn't. Are there some boundaries or guardrails we can put up? Sure. So I looked up the definition because I was curious as to what the exact wording is. So according to dictionary.com, almsgiving is a noun. In historical or religious context, it's the practice of giving money or food to poor people. Okay. So that helps put the boundaries here. We're not talking about... um, a regular important part of church life for folks who are invested in a congregation somewhere is weekly offerings that contribute to the church's ministry, to having a pastor or paying their light bill or paying an organist or whatever other things they the church needs. That's lovely and fine and good and part of our regular life as part of a Christian community. But we're not talking about that here. We're talking about how we might attend to the needs of those who are most in need and most vulnerable around us, with whether it's in-kind donations, food, or essentials like that, or clothing or things like that, or money that as a liquid asset can buy any of those things. But it's it's things like that for people who are particularly in need without, I'm guessing, concern for who is um, worthy or earned it or qualified. Like this is, this is not like I get to pick and choose, but more it is simply your need that qualifies you for being a recipient. We're not talking about me donating to a friend or deciding who I think is worthy. Yes. And I would say that for me, if I'm going to donate to an organization um, that helps people, if the organization helps people, I make sure that the organization doesn't put qualifiers on who and who cannot receive the aid. And I say that because uh, in my first call, there was a food bank that the local ministerial ran and um, it was a fairly regular conversation among the pastors about who should and should not receive the food. And like, there was lots of like, Oh, they should be, you know, maybe they should be a member of one of the churches. Oh, maybe they should have to take classes 
maybe they should have to do X, Y, and Z. And that always made me super uncomfortable. That's like, no, you all, like these people are hungry. They're not coming here to try to scam us out of a box of hamburger helper. Like this is, you know, an affront to their dignity that they have to come and ask for food. Let's not give them more hoops to jump through in order to feed their family tonight. Like, let's not do that. So I try to, if I'm going to support a organization financially, I try to make sure that they are going to treat people with dignity. And if that organization won't do that, then I'm going to find another organization that will. I think that's such a helpful place to start too. Um, not only because as, as you point out, like it strips people of dignity already and then certainly makes it more complicated. If somebody is already in a position of being financially pinched and they may be working multiple jobs already now saying, sorry, you have to also make room in your schedule to take my class because I think you need to learn financial literacy. Man, there's a lot of judgment on my part and I've made their life that much more complicated for what, as you point out, is you know, the box of hamburger helper, like we're not like garden a bank vault here of, you know, stacks, a hundred dollar bills here. Um, but also I think, and to me, this is a part of why this is helpful to talk about as a spiritual practice uh, in a particular season. Part of what it does to practice generosity is it shapes my, it reminds me, shapes my character to live and operate out of an economy of grace because I'm someone who's been graced by God as well. And without the practice of generosity intentionally, regardless of who I think is worthy or do I like you or would I like what you post on social media or not? No, you're the neighbor in front of me. You're the person who has need here. Giving with that kind of unconditionality is a part of how I learn what it is to be graced and unconditionally loved by God as well. Um, and that's why I guess for me, I, I, I see this as not just a way of helping the neighbor, but part of how God also shapes me and helps me to grow in love is uh, I, it, there's got, there's got to be a certain amount of skin in the game of how do I give from my resource, from my abundance for somebody else? And how do I learn what it is to be humble enough to recognize I've been graced as well? In a lot of ways, Steve, I think what you're describing sounds a whole lot like pay it forward, right? That In, so, in some ways. Yeah, like Whoa. God has gifted me with these things and now I'm going to pay it forward yeah. to, to others. And, and I guess I think in, in a way, long before that was a tagline or a motto or a slogan, Christianity at its best has especially the I think the, the witness of the whole New Testament operates on that logic of we've been loved by God first, therefore we love. We've been shown grace from God, therefore we show grace to others. Mm -hmm. And that without regular practice of generosity that is sort of recklessly gracious, that is audacious in those ways, we end up turning it into a you've earned it because I think you're worthy or you've earned it because I think you were good enough or something like that. And it becomes real easy to be, to decide to become gatekeepers of, of goodness rather than um, that's not how God has loved us. God has not put strings or conditions. God has loved us even while we were enemies of God. Right. So it sounds like the bar is pretty low for God. <laughs> um, and if that's the case, then yeah, we're called to have that kind of approach to how we are generous toward others. Um and that, yeah, that that has a way of changing our relationship with neighbors, too. It has a way of putting a check on my impulse to be judgmental toward other people. I think it also gives us a, a way of being able to pray for people. 
Yeah. Say more right? about that. Like, um, so in, in my circles, there's quite a bit of discussion about how awful like thoughts and prayers are on social media. Right. Because it's just something you say and like there's no follow through. And I think that almsgiving is a really great way to live out your prayer life. Yeah. Right. Like if you're going to say that you're going to pray for this person and this uh, situation halfway across the world or this or that or that almsgiving is a way for you to actually do something about those prayers because by all means i think prayers are great you see a national tragedy happening yes pray for it by all means but there's usually something you can do to help whether it's um donating to the like a relief organization or um you know, research or something like there are ways that you could actually put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. And so I think almsgiving is a great way to do something beyond the hashtag thoughts and prayers. Um, and and yeah, so I think that that's a good way that you can connect prayer and almsgiving. This reminds me of a line you probably heard, Sarah, a handful of times in seminary because we had some professors who overlapped. Uh, We had a New Testament professor who used to talk about that line from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. He used to say, that's not a a threat or a a gauge, that's a promise, that if you want to change where your heart is, put your treasure toward where you want your heart to be and watch how it changes the direction of your your heart. Um, And so like, if we want to become people who care about our neighbors, well, part of how you do that is you move beyond empty talk which is easy and cheap and real easy to be said or done just for the the show of it but if you really want to grow in care for neighbors if you want to become someone who's capable of loving better it requires putting your treasure there so whether that's your time which is a form of what we treasure or our money which is another form in that our treasure comes in but put what you value most there and watch how your heart follows along um, and again, like that, that's in some ways so countercultural thinking. Sometimes we're used to, well, you want what you want. You care about what you care about. You can't change that. No, we can care. We can change the things that we care about. And if you've ever been moved to a place of why am I so apathetic about the needs of neighbors far away? Or why is it that I've not paid attention to the people in my own community who are hungry or don't know where the next meal comes from? Or why is it that so easily I just change the channel when there's a bad story on the news rather than what can I do about it? Well, part of how we change is put your treasure there. Watch how that uh, was skin in the game it changes the orientation of our heart so this suddenly sounds very difficult and hard and gonna make me uncomfortable <laughs> right <laughs> i i think that of all of the lenten disciplines almsgiving is possibly the one that i struggle with the most and i think that that is in part because I am definitely feeling the effects of the current economy. And mm-hmm. I think that that's probably pretty common for most of our listeners, right? Like mm-hmm. when eggs are $5 a dozen, it's, you know, there is often not an abundance of mm-hmm. money or yeah. resources, right? It's something that we all struggle with. Um, and so I think that that is a good acknowledgement for, for, people who do almsgiving to recognize for themselves of like 
it's not always easy, but that doesn't mean that it's not worthwhile. Right. And with the caveat of you can't give what you don't have. I mean, like right. we we talked last time about that whatever we do with prayer is the goal is not for us to have one more thing to beat ourselves up over. Uh, I think in a similar way that uh, if we're going to talk about the value of almsgiving or of generosity as a spiritual discipline, that it can't be beating ourselves up that we couldn't give what somebody else gave or we couldn't do what somebody else did. But it's a way of saying, how do I take the resources I do have and what will I do with them? And and maybe that's a way of recognizing that um, generosity is more than just wishful thinking. So if I want my neighbors to be well-fed, well, where's that going to come from? What can I do about it? I, I can't just say, boy, I hope you find a 20 somewhere. What will, you know, and if that means I have to make choices about, boy, there are places where I've got luxuries while other people are going hungry. What is it that, and again, for a season like Lent, it's easy to say, maybe not forever, but for these weeks, for this season, I'm going to forego uh, getting the additional fancy coffee drink when I would might have done that, or I'm going to forego getting the more expensive lavish thing or, you know, whatever. And part of what that does then is it, here's resource. Now the money I would have spent on this or that or that I can now contribute so that uh, I'm not just sort of wishfully thinking like Marie Antoinette, let them eat cake. It will come from somewhere. Um, I will, I will help provide. Here's how I contribute. Um, but also, um, with 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 that that sense of my my connection to the giving, I guess. So, are there ways that we could do think creative creatively about alms giving? Like, I what I really liked about our last episode was the different ways that we could experiment. Yeah. With um with prayer. And I like the idea of, oh, if I give up X for Lent, I can use the money mm -hmm. um, to donate to something. Um, yeah. But is there other ways that we can use our imagination to think of ways that we could experiment with almsgiving? One that comes to mind right off the bat, and this is not terribly creative, but it's just, it's at least a baby step in the right direction. Like, uh, what began on a necessity for me, I, um, saved this, uh, big growler jar from, there was a brewery near the seminary where, where, uh, went to seminary, uh, up at Barley's and we had gotten a gallon growler from when we'd lived there. And then we moved away from there and there was no way to return it or anything. So now that become my change jar. And, you know, at the end of the day, the end, like when there is chance, when, it, and it not always, do I have cash money anyway? Sometimes we're buying things with a card or something like that. But when there's physical change or something like that, at the end of the day, it goes out of my pockets and in the jar. And one part of what that does is it's sort of off the table. I'm not going to spend this on something else. It's, it's set aside. But we've gotten in the habit in our house of... um being able to, because it's sort of out of, out of sight, out of mind, it can be then, it's not money I'm counting on. And then that can be used generously in some way. So that can be, I remember one time and it felt like it really did feel like, um, there's like divine fingerprints on this whole situation. I, I crossed paths. I can't remember how, but with, um, I was, I was alerted to the need of somebody who needed, um, hotel costs for the night and like it was literally it was a blizzard it was one of those like somebody really needed a place for the night and i was like well okay how many and we we have some resources in our in our congregational line items in our budget to be able to help with needs like that but it was like this is going to need need to be a quick turnaround and i was like wait a second 
with the space of a day, I could get this change and see how much. And it turned out to be enough to cover their hotel bill for the night. Um, not at a Hilton, but at the local Holiday Inn or whatever. Um, and it was like this cool, like I did not even think when I was, you know, putting in quarters and nickels and dimes all this time, what it would be used for. But this became somebody else didn't have to be in the cold tonight or sleep in their car tonight. Um, and now I've got this sense when I put coins in there of like, I don't know what the need's going to be, but there's going to come a point and this is full again. And whether somebody comes to my attention right away or we have the creativity of, yeah, what are the all of all the good work being done in our community? What's a need? How could we give this? It, it's, a, it's a way that little steps add up. That that reminds me of something that uh, some members of my congregation does. Uh, so our congregation is uh, connected with the feeding ministry in Philadelphia that um, they, they collect frozen meals. And I'm not talking like TV dinners that you can buy at the store, but rather you take these containers that they provide you and you fill it up and you cover it up and you freeze it. And so I'm a big fan of doing the soups. Like I like the soups, but a couple of my members really like taking the meal containers and they'll take a bunch with them to like big holiday meals, like Thanksgiving. And they will like, after everybody's eaten, they, instead of dividing up the leftover food to, you know, go home with people, they'll like take these containers. And as a family, they'll fill up the containers with their leftover, like Thanksgiving meal or Christmas meal or just Sunday dinner. And that's how they distribute that. Like they save the leftovers, not for themselves, but rather for others. Mm -hmm. the, the one of the things I love about an idea like that is it so helpfully allows the creativity of like whatever you're good at cooking um whatever that it allows you to have your special creativity um i love that notion of that it allows you to be creative when you're cooking in a way that just handing somebody a five dollar bill or a ten dollar bill or something isn't and it also recognizes that neighbors aren't just people we throw money at and then i'm i check it off the list i've cared for you enough but like the the care that you make that you put into the food that you prepare for your own family, you can put that kind of care when you're cooking for somebody else as well. And so I may not know your name, but like this is, this shows care and love for somebody in a way that a prepackaged fruit cup doesn't, you know, like you can yeah buy essentials or get essentials from a food bank, but somebody took the time to season this right. Or someone used the recipe that their grandmother had, you know, given them for making an X or Y or Z that, that brings love to this. And it's not just a transaction. I think about when uh, in um, our congregations are a part of the local homeless ministry family promise. And um, it means sometimes we are um, prepare meals for a family that stays at our church, or sometimes they'll be bringing a meal to the day center where they'll have it. And again, there's that sense of here's a way of contributing, not just the cost of the raw ingredients, but um, this is, I'm making the lasagna that, I'm going to give to them. And then I'm also making lasagna. There'll be, there's a sense of we're connected to the, to the family as well. Cause it's, we're eating the same food. It's not like we have this fancy stuff and you have to eat with, you know, the, the, the dregs from the canned food aisle or something like that, which so often is how people think of, you know, the, the food pantry of the, Well, I'll give my, the, the, the green beans from the back of the pantry that we didn't go through. I'll donate those. And, and again, imagines that people who are in need don't have a, uh, a worthiness of 
good food. You know, sometimes it's so easy. Well, if you're getting it for free, you should be happy with it you get. So you get the lima beans that I won't eat. Well, that feels like that's not love. That's me being a jerk and pretending. Yes. Are there other ways that you can see creativity showing up in our generosity? So something my church has done just very recently, I guess they had done it years in the past, but um, they started it again. And it's not in the same sense, almost give me, but I could see it turn into that is in our latest newsletter, which we put out every other month, we have these, I think they're being called fun calendars, where on every day it has something like, it's National Pizza Day. You know, contribute 25 cents for every pizza topping that you like. Or, you know, it's National Pet Day. Give 15 cents for every pet that you own. And those kind of things. We're currently using it for our trustees. But, like, I could see that being used by a congregation to help the local food pantry or um, a soup kitchen, something in the area, a homeless shelter. Um, Again, it's not a lot, um, but it's amazing when you start adding these things up. One of the ones that we had for February was, was 15 cents for every umbrella that you own. I have a lot of umbrellas Mm -hmm. that I didn't realize I owned. And so I had to start counting them like, Oh, wow. I I got a lot of those things. Um, But it's kind of like the change that you talked about earlier, Steve, you know, it doesn't seem like much, but especially if you do it as a congregation and you add all that up together, it could amount to, you know, a lot of money if everybody actually participates and and, um, treats it faithfully and doesn't say, oh, well, I did what it said, but I'm not going to give that money today. Right. For a lot of years in this area, the Lutheran churches in um, the two neighboring counties around here and Lent would partner together and make contributions toward the Heifer Project, which provides animals for, uh, you know, people around the world that then, you know, the, if it's chickens, the chickens lay eggs and then you can harvest the eggs or you can raise chickens and then it goes on to the next family, the next village, that kind of thing and all sorts of animals. And the challenge would be for the the churches of conference four of the Lutheran Northwest Pennsylvania Synod would uh, raise enough each Lent for an ark or however many arcs worth of animals, which is a whole bunch of animals in heifer speak. Um, but that it became this way of partnering with that same recognition, each congregation. Some of these were small congregations, but they could contribute and have a sense of ownership in we did this together and together our work that wouldn't have gone very far alone became something a lot bigger. And part of what I loved about that practice was not just the individually small contributions day after day, but also across the geographic area that it reminded us that we're connected to each other in a way when it is really easy in the 21st century in America to pretend that you can be Christian alone. Like it's just, you know, it's just me and my church and Jesus, or maybe just me and Jesus, but that we need one another. Um, and that God uses all of those small efforts together in big ways, uh, all put together. Our districts in our conference have connections with districts in the Zimbabwe conference over in Africa. Yeah. And a, a lot of this, each district kind of has its own project. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly couldn't tell you what my current district has because I've only been on it for a few months. Um, but I think my last district, they work, they're working on a school or something, I feel like. Um, and so, you know, all the churches on that district at various times will get together and collect money then to send to Zimbabwe to help them out. Um, so very much the same way as you're talking about the Heifer Project. Yeah. And again, it's great to know that, um, you know, I've always served pretty small churches that couldn't help you know, build a school or provide transportation for a preacher over in Zimbabwe on their own. But when connected to 40, 50, 60 other churches, now we can do that together. Yeah. 
The other thing I really like about this model of practicing generosity together is it has a way of um, short-circuiting that impulse to let these things be our ego. I mean, like, there are lots of folks I know who are generous, but also generous with the uh, hope that they'll get recognized for it, their name will be printed somewhere, or that something will be the so-and-so donation or whatever. And yeah, th- th- there, there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but it, man, it sure is a way of becoming about me rather than about the good work that's being done uh, to help somebody. Or to, and it, it reminds me of those words that uh, in in uh, the revised common lectionary we hear on Ash Wednesday out of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is like, okay, when you're going to be generous, when you're going to give alms. Do it in such a way that people won't know what you're, it's that beautiful line, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Um, But there's something lovely about that idea of what if you were freed from worrying about anybody else giving you credit or getting recognition for it? And it was just about, this is something that needs to be done so that neighbors can be taken care of. So let's do that together. And when it's all the churches together in one district helping build the school somewhere else in Africa, or um, it's the Heifer Project, you know, for an ARC or or, or the, the meals program that you're talking about, Sarah. It's it's not like each one comes stamped with this was made by so and so. If you like to send a thank you note here, but it's more like somebody else who you will never meet did something good for you they, without even knowing your name. To me, that's what it looks like to live in an economy of grace, and that's like what this has all been about for me. How do I, how do I actually live what I say I believe about the way God's grace operates in the world? I, I've at some point got to got to live by that logic by by the the economy of grace. And to me, in so many ways, this this is just really just taking seriously that powerful passage of the letter of James, where he's talking about, um, uh, eventually it becomes a conversation about faith and works, but it starts out like, if I say to a neighbor who's cold and hungry, be well, be well fed, go on your way now, I haven't done anything, but if I actually take care of the neighbor, uh, it means not just saying good words to them, but that I need to offer help for them. How do I take care of the neighbor in need? Um, and that if our, if our spirituality ends at wishes or thoughts and that never trade into translate into action i'm not really sure we really care about people we're not really growing in love preach it (laughs) you know that line of uh, frederick Douglass who said i prayed for freedom for a long time and nothing happened until i started praying with my feet um when he finally uh you know uh, escaped uh to to freedom um there's something that is really really honest about that um and that if we're going to be people who um have something to do with living out the love we met in Jesus. It's going to mean we move beyond empty words and move into action. So words are fine, but words without action that back it up are are just a show. Yeah. So then, yeah, I mean, like we're we're winding down our time in Lent here. We're running out of of weeks, which is a lovely thing. The seasons come and go, but we hope at least in these weeks so far, uh, we've given you some ideas for ways that whether this year or in future years, um, this season can be fruitful for you and growing in love, which is in so many ways what this is all about. As well as these Lenten practices, you could do at any time. So even if you know it's what the second to last week of Lent, um. If you are suddenly inspired to try a new practice, you could go ahead and start today. You don't have to wait until next Ash Wednesday. And if you want to say it's for the next 40 days, even though that will be now into Easter time, that's fine too. God's not going to hold it against you. So with that in mind, we'll invite you. Maybe your spiritual practice will be listening to a podcast like Crazy Faith Talk. If so, we'll be there for you next time here on Crazy Faith Talk. Yeah. Bye.